Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. In this episode, we discuss the current and forthcoming merger between psychedelics and pharmaceuticals in the West, and how they are and will be used to treat various ailments, but mostly involving mental health. We discuss the concept of natural medicines, the side effects of various therapies, a ketamine casualty, the relationship of plants, people, and nature, We examine how these natural therapeutics help us in accessing our own doorway to divinity. Additionally, we highlight the work in preparation and mentorship in the natural setting of psychedelic use, as well as the up-and-coming psychedelic neuropharmaceuticals, as they are so lovingly called. Joining us today is friend of the show, Dr. Ashley Tomasino. She is an acupuncturist and healer working in and around the San Diego area. She is also an author of the book, Between Zen and Now. For more on Ashley and her book, please check out the podcast episode we did with her a little while back titled, The Five Questions. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. <sighs> Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow GNTers. Those of us like our spirituality with a twist. Uh, as you have already have heard in the introduction, we have returning on the wonderful, insightfully, uh, insightful Ashley Tomasino. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and uh, really to talk about this kind of subject that came up between Daniel and I uh, a few weeks ago as kind of an idea. I get these kind of goofy newsletters from Harvard Medicine. They really serve no function in my life whatsoever, and I almost <laughs> immediately delete them. <laughs> but they come through, and it kind of gives me a feeling of like what they're up to, sort of, what they are up to. Yeah. And uh, there's always something on like, chi- try Qigong and like, uh, you know, uh, meditation for your depression and you know they just pop these things up and one of them was on like psychedelics and i thought okay that's interesting definitely in your two uh folks wheelhouse so the idea came of an episode to start talking about that what that means in terms of like i guess you might say the more mainstreaming of this and research around it mm-hmm. so that was something that struck my interest for sure struck my interest uh parts of my brain but um uh you know when we talked about daniel also wanted to talk about research in the in this field of psychedelics and kind of make it like an inclusive episode where we talk about all this stuff so anyways that seems to be what we're going to be doing thanks so much for coming on ashley yeah my pleasure as an expert in this subject matter and i guess i'll like like hand the baton off a little bit to daniel because you know just how do you think about it i guess in terms of what parts of the research were interesting and you know why you thought that was an important thing for us to do and you can guys get the ball rolling that way right yeah, so I, you know, there's probably a number of positions that you know we'll we'll discuss here, um, which is is kind of like a round a round table discussion, and you know I, I wanted to kind of highlight this because I do feel like the the trend is moving in this direction, 
And so, you know, for people who listen to us, you know, the the few, the proud, the gin and tantraers, if we can call them that, you know, um, you know, to kind of provide some, you know, some insight as to not just like what we think, but, you know, things that, you know, we're seeing as people who pay attention to this kind of stuff and are engaged in the, in the material in, in a, in a tangible sense for us. You know, I use these, you know, things legally, of course, um, you know, so, right. Um, and so I wanted to kind of have the, uh, you know, I guess like a conscious discussion uh, on these topics, which is why I wanted to, you know, to bring on Ashley, who has, you know, good experience with this as well. So, um, yeah, Ashley, thanks for, thanks for coming on. And Eric, as always, thanks for, uh, for joining us. So Ashley, I'll, I'll, I'll get, let, give you a, a chance to kind of breathe here in a second, but I think the, um, one of the larger parts is that like this integration between, uh, mental health and the increasing amount of attention that it's getting, especially post COVID, right? I think the amount, I don't have to think, but like the amount of depression, anxiety, sort of mental stressors that have, you know, been here since, you know, 2020, since the implementation of lockdowns and everything else, not just in the U S but worldwide is probably a a easily understood, you know, phenomenon, right? Simultaneously, we have the use of the traditional means for treatment, which are generally pharmaceutical drugs and some combination of counseling, you know, but the drugs are kind of the, the implemented way of, of using, you know, treatment, you know, that the Western medicine, Western medicine will use for treatment. And that's a way of treating things, you know, for sure. However, there's also a couple of things that are happening at the same time, right. That are, that where is this conversation is being born out of. So number one, ineffectiveness of these drugs, that's that's first of all. The second of all is the side effects that come along with these pharmaceuticals. And the third part is the movement towards a more sort of natural, I don't know, state, you know, in terms of like people wanting to use natural supplements, natural ways of being in order to try to alleviate whatever it is that they're dealing with. So I think these, you know, the background of the depression, anxiety increasing and then th- those sort of three things, right? Ineffectiveness, side effects, and the movement towards naturalistic states is kind of pushing us towards this, you know, I, I guess kind of merger between psychedelics and the pharmaceutical industry or the use of, you know, psychedelics in the, in the pharmaceutical industry. And so this is kind of like the place that, that I think I would like for the, the discussion to kind of be born from. And obviously we will all have our own, you know, takes on certain aspects of it, but this is kind of like the foundation. If I could, you know, give the background as Eric normally does, but this is the, you know, this is kind of our, this is our structure for today. So Ashley, and then we'll, we'll break all these things down. Right. But um, Ashley, from, from your perspective, you know, what do you, you know, well, I want to give you a chance to kind of speak here. Well, um, the first thing that comes to mind that I, when I think about pharmaceuticals and psychedelics that come together is ketamine. Um, and you know, that is widely, um, I wouldn't say like distributed, but people are talking about it. You know, you see it on Instagram, you see people posting about it. Now you can take ketamine at home. You can have like at home kits. Um, it's, just for me, when I see it, I kind of tune it out. And that's because of um, some personal experiences with friends that have actually passed away from overdosing on ketamine. And I think that there is a real, there's a real need for grounding 
essentially with any practice, but with especially psychedelics, because the nature of psychedelics is to take you out of reality, out of your current state of reality. And so, um, you know, there's really a need for uh, spiritual practice around any kind of psychedelic that people are taking. And that's something that um, I don't really see being emphasized so much. People are talking about all the benefits of these medicines, but they're not necessarily talking about the importance of the day-to-day, -day, the integration, the things that are not so, you know, seductive. Um, but that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think about this topic is that kind of like, it's like this taste in my mouth that's sort of um, chemical and it doesn't really feel very natural. And um, I think that there's a potential for problems. Like if people cannot process properly the things that they're experiencing on psychedelics, um, that would potentially exacerbate, you know, um, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, PTSD, these things that people are claiming that psychedelics actually treat, the psychedelic can actually make worse um, or perpetuate, uh, you know, pushing someone deeper into a psychotic episode without proper care. So like, there's a lot of interest in psychedelics for the treatment of um, mental health and spiritual challenges that people are experiencing unrelated even to COVID just you know we're looking at like economics and things like that I mean that is part of what we're dealing with with COVID but like people are really being tested and um, they're searching and like I feel like people are reaching outwards for these resources but too much of the reaching outwards can be problematic, um, you know, as we see like with Chinese medicine, like you have to regulate the doors from our reality to the outside reality through these like um, with the gates, you know, and psychedelics blow gates open. And um, so that's the first couple things that I have to say about that. Is that, is that on point? I mean, is that oh, makes yeah, sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for makes sense. Before Eric, before you, I, I see you have a thought, or it looks like you have a thought anyways. Yeah, um, I usually like think of what to say about this stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. So okay. so before, you know, just, so I, I wanted to bring this back into the pharmaceutical portion. So uh, Johnson & Johnson makes a at-home or, you know, personal use ketamine nasal spray, Spravato. It costs $729.00. And it's a two, it's a two shot. So that's, so it's 370 bucks, basically roughly for a one, one use. So I didn't look into this. So maybe I'll just ask you two about this. When I was like doing my little prep on this, cause this is not my, this is not my home base the way it is more for you two. I was like, okay. So I saw like MDMA, psilocybin, uh, uh, DMT being talked about research wise. I don't know what the claims are of like the effects of ketamine in terms of what it's supposed to be treated. So I yeah. didn't look at any research around that. What's the claim around that? Because maybe like a lot of other people in the audience, like, mm, I'm not as familiar with this. So. PTSD, depression, anxiety, things so like, like the that. usual suspects mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and just so I'm clear, just so I'm clear, so people don't, you know, check me. Uh, Spravato is not intended for home use, but that's, you know, this is what the, the you know, so whether so you go to an you, office and you get this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's an, it's an mm -hmm. administered uh, nasal spray, but yeah, I mean, ketamine was started, you know, started off for, I think for pain. If I remember, if I know correctly, because I've had some patients who had to have ketamine therapy for chronic pain and then 
they're like, oh, well, you should stick, you should stay using it for these other, you know, things. End of life, uh, they say cancer related depression, which is all like the kind of like psychedelic use case is what Ashley was saying. So it's PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, addiction breaking, you know, di- habit mm-hmm. habit rebreaking, uh, cancer related depression. They they highlight that in terms of the the research. They specify that why I don't know. Um, yeah, I think those are kind of the main. What's the traditional contents behind <clears throat> context behind that? Like, where where's that used more traditionally? Where's what used more traditionally? Ketamine. Where's that coming from in the in the traditional context? Is there any traditional background for that? You mean in uh, the ketamine is a synthetic, you know? Okay, so that's pretty synthetic, and there's no other traditional context that, that I'm aware of. That so I'm aware of. there's so there's a lot of. Um, you know, a lot of people want to do ketamine and, and it's and it's available like a different, you know, ketamine clinics and stuff like that. But what what I learned more recently that I think is really important for people that are in the ayahuasca world and particularly in the plant medicine world, and this is a you know another type of psychedelic, is that the ketamine, because it's synthetic and the in the nature of it and how strong it is. I've been told, and I and I feel that this is true, that by taking ketamine, if you've done a plant medicine dieta, particularly one that's called Noya Rao, the ketamine can hold on, actually- Hold on, Ash, hold on. You, you like to do that where you say things and you don't, we have to give a little bit of background. So what's okay. dieta and what's Noya Rao? Because no one knows. What so so if, you're, if you're involved in ayahuasca work, so ayahuasca is the plant medicine, the brew that's mixed, uh, the Banisteriopsis capi vine and the chacruna leaf and people drink it mm-hmm, in a ceremony. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a, what's called a dieta, you're engaging in a sacred process of eliminating certain foods and substances in order ah. to connect, connect with the ayahuasca or with the master plant. A master plant is... Um, a plant that you uh, meditate with for a certain amount of time, you take in the, um, the plant consciousness, you, you work with that plant. There's a lot that I could talk about with that, but um, if people are really involved in that particular sect of practice um, by taking ketamine, the ketamine is said to not only block, but cross the uh, person's ability to connect with their plants. And what that means is that it's just kind of like if you, you know, on the phone with somebody and the connection is, is cut, then that connection to your medicine, your healing from that plant as it evolves and integrates over time would then not be able to come through. And it can be very detrimental to people who particularly take um, tree plants as part of their spiritual practice of meditation. Um, and so, for example, and, uh, you know, when I think about ketamine, it doesn't really bring up good feelings for me because one of my, uh, friends, one of my dear friends, uh, died last year from a ketamine overdose. He was found in Mexico and he had an Ibogaine clinic in, um, near Ensenada and he was doing ketamine like, you know, like candy, like every day and taking M- uh, five MEO hits and, he was, um, you know, doing Ibogaine. Like this was all just recreational. And One he second. Had so again, got to give context for things because the audience doesn't know 5-MEO. What, what is 5, you know, let's just go through one of them, right? 5-MEO mm-hmm. is what? 5-MEO is DMT, a, a strain of DMT. like DMT. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And and what strain of DMT is is 5-MEO DMT? Again, because- I don't know. Okay, so five meo DMT would be what you. It's a psychedelic, so it's a it's a DMT is is one psychedelic that um, 
people are offering actually that's not technically legal, but it is, I think, decriminalized. But I'm not a specialist in 5-MeO yeah. or anything. So, so 5-MeO DMT is usually found in what they call toad venom, and people will smoke the toad venom. And it, it has a, a similar effect to like drinking ayahuasca in a sense, except for the fact that it is like, well, it's different, but it's similar. It's also far more short-lived, right? It might be like 15 to 30 minutes. Um, and therefore people feel a little bit more, maybe like it had some different benefits, I guess, in it for, you know, for them, we can talk about the benefits and, you know, whatnot of DMT in, in a, in a moment. So I think the only thing that I wanted to to highlight though, is the, maybe the heart of what you're saying, Ashley, is that like, again, putting this into context with our, dis- with our discussion, the plants in their natural setting have a kind of essence with them that stays with the person who uses them, right? This is kind of what you were alluding to earlier, right? About trees and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. And that the use and in, in, from your experience, again, and you have, you know, connection to people who, you know, do this work on a daily basis in, you know, outside of this country where these things are, are stu- taught, studied and, and administered in a legal fashion, you know, very old kind of traditional sense that the use of these synthetic drugs, you know, sort of interact and, and, provide this kind of like blocking sensation blocking experience to someone's connection with the plant which i think is sort of antithetical to how we view psychedelics right and eric you could speak on this because you know you know you're in it but kind of not so you're really like kind of a good case scenario to talk about this when you think at least when i would think of a uh, a psychedelic i think of it as like uh, an experience you know it maybe it's beautiful maybe it's difficult maybe it's whatever but it's something that you do it changes the chemistry of your brain somehow opens you up makes you laugh whatever it is and then you learn something and move forward and that's the end of it is that is that how how do you think of it eric from from your own experience and your own you know what i'm saying yeah well okay first of all i probably should say sorry for the loss of your friend right you know and that's an experienced person. I mean, it sounds to me like you're talking about was a person with a lot of experience within this, you know, range. It just kind of got something. How do you, I don't, I'm going to answer the question Daniel asked, but I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. What do you think happened there? Because it sounds like someone who did have experience, were they just having problems handling uh, how they were interacting with these substances or something happening in their life? It's a kind of interesting yeah. story to me because it, it doesn't sound like it was a novice person. It sounds like someone who kind of knew what they were doing and something mm-hmm. got out of hand for them. So I guess I'm just curious about that. And I guess I'll double back yeah. to what Daniel was asking me too. But yeah. I that yeah, just thank popped you. into my head when you were telling the story. I was like, huh, I wonder what happened there, right? Well, I mean, I, I do have a point with sharing that and um, it felt incomplete. So thank you. But he, um, and I don't want to say his name, you know, because it's, it's just, fine. yeah. So he, um, it's it's hard to say, but he called me, he contacted me before this happened and told me that he was feeling really suicidal and that he was really overwhelmed by how much work he was doing. And I think that because he was mixing things, he, in terms of like my practice, I think that he was picking up a lot of what's called Ucha and Ucha is kind of like the um, energies of shame, guilt, fear. It's just like not clean energies. He wasn't practicing the the psychedelic work in a clean way. He was doing things that were outside of like the rules, I guess you could say of the different traditions that he was working with. So he was kind of like abusing his practice. And then that was attracting 
and I don't like to say attracting, but I mean, I think he was bringing in a lot of really negative um, energies. And when you, so he had dieted that, that tree, Noya Rao, many years ago. And that's how I know him because he was helping me and we have some history. But um, so he was dieting this plant and then he started doing the ketamine. And it said, what I've learned from my mentor is that by doing those two things, you can have a mental and psychotic breakdown. And I think that he had a really hard time processing all of these different medicines and not integrating them and not getting the support. And then he, um, the, there were some other things that happened at his center and he was just very ungrounded. And when he called me telling me that he was feeling really suicidal, you know, I had to take the appropriate action and respond in the best way that I could you know, alerting the people that needed to be alerted so then he could be taken care of and stuff. And, um, and also protecting myself because it was kind of overwhelming to hear another colleague of mine to be in such a bad place. And I, and I understand how those things can be in this kind of realm of practice, at least with the plants that, and it, this isn't just like woo woo stuff. This is part of the traditional cultural context of how to work with psychedelics is that there are specific guidelines and rules in order to respect the spirits. So he was not really respecting the, the spirits. And, um, but you know, there's there, 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 a lot of different reasons he had a pre-existing heart problem. So, you know, he was found um, in, his, in his hotel um, and had a um, heart failure. So, um, you know, but doing ketamine like, recreationally without proper care and support and, you know, and it, that I'm sure it could put a lot of pressure and tension on, on the heart. And then also, you know, I think that sometimes people take psychedelics because they're escaping. So that sounds like kind of like more like the self-medicating part of this, right? Yeah. That something happened for him and he started as opposed to using it for consciousness expansion. It sounded like he started using it almost like as a kind of a self-medicating kind of thing as life overwhelmed him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I guess I'll <clears throat> I'll double back to what you were talking about, Daniel, because I you know listening to this is kind of like the lay person in the room or something like that, right? Or more lay person. So it's a little weird for me because we did this episode on this back in the day where mm -hmm. I've had experience like taking psychedelics and it was pretty awesome, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it was very like experiential, like what you were saying. For me, mm -hmm. it was in this context of uh, a short term thing for me, and probably what we talked about before. I've never really had any trouble with substances. I know people who do. Mm -hmm. You know, we all do. For whatever reason, my own personal wiring and karma just isn't like that. I've never had any trouble with any kind of substance. I can kind of like pick it up and put it down and, and kind of be okay with that. Um, but the so yeah, my probably gut reaction would be what you were talking about. It's an experiential thing. So and then our prep work and my like my part of the prep work for this, I went back and I thought, well, what kind of research is really being done? And per what you were both of you were kind of alluding to, it looks like it's kind of done in this very um highly controlled mentored way in these studies which would make sense right generally yeah yeah so i looked at the stuff from johns hopkins that was the one that i looked at right and it'll just you know flesh out maybe some of this research stuff of this and so yeah. part of it's really interesting because they had the thing they call the center for psychedelics and consciousness research and i thought okay they're going for it mm -hmm. <laughs> they really put that in the name of the thing yeah you know like okay you know and they have like multiple studies going on some of them are kind of what you were talking about, Daniel, where they looked at, um, I think the initial research was around depression related to like cancer diagnoses. Yeah. And yeah. that was the thing that clicked, you know? 
Uh, but as they went farther, they started talking about this in other contexts, and they went into something that would be a little bit more. Well, these are both in our all of our wheelhouses because we treat cancer patients. Yeah. You know? But you know, I got like kind of a little psych background hovering in the background for me, and so they started looking at major depressive disorder, mm-hmm. right? And it was it was it was trippy, <clears throat> the results, because <clears throat> they're like shockingly positive. You know, um, you're talking about something where if you look at major depressive disorder. I listened to the guy from Johns Hopkins because I wasn't sure what number he was going to throw out because you hear so many different numbers. But he said like 10% of the U.S. population. So you're talking about a huge group of people. And I'll bet you those numbers are like pre-pandemic, right? Kind mm-hmm. of what you were talking about, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they were just going through and they're kind of using this now for depression, uh, but they're using it exactly the way you were alluding to. It's like a like, short-term experiential thing. Mm-hmm. As opposed to maybe the problem that happened with like, uh, you know, your friend Ashley, where it got to be something where it was like he was doing this all the time somehow it was like some kind of self-medicating or, you know, whatever it was happening in his life. But so it was kind of a trippy thing because they're talking about potentially like two doses, you know, and they first looked at it like if you do two, to- two do, do- if you do two, do, if you do two doses of psilocybin. <laughs> within like uh, nice. you know this thing i don't know why that was hard i think it's sleep <laughs> deprivation it's got to the end of the semester for me <laughs> but uh, if you do these two dosage uh dosages <laughs> you get this thing where you can show like uh, people will improve for a month so that was right. the first study and if you look it up they have, even have like a little video where they saw the one of the researchers involved kind of talking through this yeah mm-hmm. i kind of mm-hmm. did a little youtube search on it Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can just probably look under John Hopkins uh, psilocybin research or whatever. But then the other part was they tre- they stretch it out for a year. Yeah. And the trippy thing was like even with just the two dosage dosages doses over the course of the year, you know, you'd still see improvements on depression scales like a year later on. But yeah. it was short term and experiential. Mm-hmm. The first point, and then I guess to what you were really talking about in a very deep way, Ashley, it was kind of like guided. You know, it was definitely in the context where there was uh, some kind of preparatory counseling going on to get the person set up to do this more, right? So it's short-term experiential. And in that sense, maybe mimicking the traditional cultural setting is making it more preparatory, probably not getting to the richness of what you would be dealing with, Ashley, or you, Daniel, right? Not with all of that rich context that you would get if you were doing it in a traditional setting. But obviously, it's like something where they're trying to set something up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the prep for the experience. So that was sort of like the first thing I looked at there. And it does hit on the two things that you two were talking about, but um, but with like kind of like shockingly positive results as far as mm-hmm. it goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you two both familiar with that? I mean, I know you're familiar with these studies, but yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of like, that's the pro, right? Mm-hmm. The pro is that like, again, like we talked about, there's the ineffectiveness of the modern pharma, you know, uh, neuropharmaceutical, right? I got something on that too, Daniel, whenever yeah. you want to like kick that around, because we should discuss that too. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then the 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 high number of side effects that it has on people, right? Sexuality, appetite, mood, all these different kinds of things. It's like you're taking- Weight, one, weight gain being weight a big gain. deal. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's all sort of- You're not going to feel good about yourself if all of a sudden you're putting on all this weight and you right, got body it's, image it's, issues for people. Yeah. Like you have to take a drug in order to help you. Then you have to take another drug to mitigate the side effects of the drug that you're taking to help you. It's sort of like, I don't know, it's opposite really in a sense, you know? But I think to your point, Eric- even though people have used essentially, you know, say, let's just use the, the Johns Hopkins example. They had two sittings, you know, or two experiences with uh, with mushrooms, with psilocybin. The effects lasted a year or more. And there's other there's other ones that are were done in the 60s, you know, before they made it a, a schedule one in 1967 that it lasted multiple years. 
people, even if they never did it ever again. And so, sure, we can look at it and say like, oh, well, that's because of the deep chemical change that the, you know, whatever psilocybin had on the, you know, chemical and neuroplasticity and they, you know, okay, fine. But I would prefer it to be taken in the way that it probably was more in the traditional sense in that, like, you're working with the spirit of that particular plant, right? And that is like sort of merging with your mind, merging with your heart, merging with your body, however you want to just, you know, say that it's working with, but this is the level that will last, right? Because you can watch a movie and be affected by, you know, infinity and, and, you know, whatever end game, you know, like Avengers. Everything Endgame. everywhere all at once, Daniel. It's always yeah, that right. movie on this podcast. It affect, it's your favorite it can, one. It can affect you, but like, is it going to have the deep level of effects years later that because you enjoyed a movie? Probably not, you know, even if it did cause some, some, some kind of like neuroplastic event in your mind. But if there is some kind of like little whisper, an echo that, that follows you, that helps you in, in moments of, you know, difficulty or great ecstasy that you have sort of made a relationship with while ingesting this plant, then that gives it a different thing. Now it's not just a thing that I can take to have a good time, but it's sort of like a, a, a being that I'm working with. Ashley meant it, meant, mentioned it before in passing, but a mentor, you know, it becomes kind of a mentor for you that helps you, you know, in that sense. And this is the part, this is the negative, is that we're kind of like extracting the, the aspects of the pharmaceuticals that we can isolate with, you know, physiochemical complexes or compounds, and then trying to reproduce them and remove them from the places in which they were found used regularly and had success with. And so this term uh, psychedelic neuropharmaceutical is one that I have, you know, recently ran across, like as in the last week, which to me, if there's a term, it means that somebody has put some thought behind it and is trying to, you know, have some energy and some wording, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just seems like the, it seems like the water is a little bubbly. You know what I mean? Well, you always put something under a fancy term when you're trying to sell it. Then it'll come up with some like sci-fi sounding name afterwards with a bunch of Z's and X's in it. Yeah, that's... <laughs> they finally market it. Zabaravoms. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So what do you think, Ashley, about the whole, um, I mean, maybe this is something that you can describe for people who aren't as familiar with doing this, the whole relationship to the to the medicine and the plant that like continues on afterwards. I mean, that's an interesting subject matter for people who maybe have had this, right? Yeah. Well, while Daniel was talking, I was thinking about something that he brought to light, which is that, you know, people are connecting with the psychedelic, but, you know, what are they really connecting to what we need in terms of any kind of healing at the deepest level is a reconnection to our spirit, our spiritual, you know, force, our, our own soul. Um, a lot of these maladies like depression and psycho-emotional things are spiritually related. So it makes sense that in order to heal those spiritual issues that we would get in touch with a spiritual medicine to help us to have a better relationship with ourselves. So um, I, I'm all for the psychedelics that have more of a connection to their natural state that are not synth synthesized. Um, because, you know, the, the whole point of doing psychedelics and essentially is to become healthier. And how do we become healthier? We, we get more in touch with nature and nature is uh, spiritual. You know, it's, um, it's the essence of, of our core, um, 
how how we harmonize with the world and the universe and that brings us into uh balance when we're in balance then you know we can handle these different spiritual issues so like the psilocybin i'm not really too familiar with but you know ayahuasca for sure i mean it took me many 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 years until i actually really met the spirit of mother ayahuasca and it met me and i could feel it in my soul and that connection, just the connection was deeply, deeply healing. And what, what people really need, I mean, Gabor Mate talks about this, Dr. Gabor Mate. Um, and he's written many books, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have probably talked about him a little bit on, the sh- on this podcast, mm-hmm. but Gabor Mate talks about like the deepest root of, of addiction is the lack of connection as kids. Like they need to have connection. And what people need is connection and i think that that's one reason that maybe subconsciously people are reaching out to psychedelics is because they're yearning for their soul to be touched and it's really hard to do that when you're taking something yearning for something that then continues to not give it to you it's like mm-hmm. are we taking the psychedelic to perpetuate an addictive process or are we consciously choosing a psychedelic that can Act, help us access the doorway into our own divinity. And, um, you know, these medicines can help us to get in touch with our true light, our true self, our true, you know, essence. And I think that that's really the important um, thing to keep in mind is like, does the psychedelic that I'm about to take help me get more in touch with Ashley? You know, does it help me to really feel who she really is outside of trauma, outside of addiction? Does it strengthen her? Does it strengthen me? And if not, then I'm not going to do it. And that's, you know, a part of learning how to love myself, love oneself. Um, With synthetic uh, psychedelics, although it may be helpful for some neurological processing or neuroplasticity or whatever, that's great. But um, if you don't have the the spiritual piece of it, it's not going to hold. Yeah, it's kind of like a question I was thinking about that when I was... I knew we were going to have this discussion. I was kind of prepping it today for myself, you know, and I was thinking then, then you have a question of like what you might call like mechanism of action, right? If we're going to be all medical about it, what's the mechanism of action happening here? And, um, and it's interesting because we're all going to have probably different ways of trying to describe this somehow. What, what strikes you is if you're doing research at Johns Hopkins, you have to frame that in some kind of neuroscience way. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to say that it mm-hmm. did something because that's just what you got. That's all you really have on the table to describe this somehow. Right. right. Yeah. You're working within like a physicalistic, natural, materialistic model. So that's what you got going on. Uh, but of course, you know, for like me, as I was thinking about it and you're saying this in your own words, Ashley, and with permutations, I guess we all think about it probably in our own unique ways. But yeah, obviously to me, it was like, well, I, something's happening on the level of what we like to call in Chinese medicine, the Shen right? Something's happening mm-hmm. within the spirit of the person, right? And either you're accessing something that's deeper within that person, right? And it's responding. And yeah, I come from kind of like a Buddhist Tantra kind of a, a vibe. So for me, it would be like, yeah, probably something happens on the level of like Buddha nature. And Tark starts to take apart things that are more obstructive parts of the personality, right? That mm-hmm. are kind of negative. So it starts to undo that and allows you a clearer vantage on things, right? But then you're also kind of adding like a deeper thing, a mechanism of action, which I don't know if I have as much experience with, but the idea that you continue to connect to something in nature, you know, that word nature, and that relationship continues to grow and build. And that's a way of like connecting yourself to something different, which I can't say 
I've totally done that, but that's like a mechanism of action question too, right? It's not just like I'm changing something within my shed. I'm also building a different relationship with nature around me that will become supportive in a way that maybe was sort of missing from my life or something. Is that a fair way of describing that? Yeah. And, you know, having a practice of focusing on right relationship, um, I think is not only really empowering, but can help to can help you make better decisions. So if you're like, you know, I want to have a better relationship with my my brothers, um, I'm going to show up differently for them. If I want to have a better relationship with animals and plants, I'm going to show up differently for them. But um, you have to be able to look at yourself. So go, going back to the um, research piece. So I, I started my PhD at California Institute of Integral Studies, and I was um, doing, I started doing research on the phenomenological approach to understanding time travel and, and what, what it does it mean to um, have premonitions based on different cultural perspectives. And, you know, the phenomenological approach means that basically you're looking at the world uh, and making a conscious um, observation based on your own perspective and that that's enough quantitative and qualitative like evidence to say that something has a definitive quality to it. That's like kind so, of relating back to like personal experience, right? Yeah, it's to personal experience. experience, right? Yeah. You know, so, phenomenology or however you want to like say it, right? That's an idea of like experience, right? Yeah. 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 So personal experience um, is still good enough to validate some of these spiritual things that can happen on psychedelics doesn't always have to be neurological but a lot of people really need and want the neurological stuff in their you know framework of their their research and i get that um but it's more than that and and people need more than that i mean if you're really suffering and you are suicidal, you're not going to really be sitting there going online researching about like neurological reprogramming, you know, if in those moments where you're just super desperate. And that's where I feel like psychedelics can really help to connect people, you know, people need connection. And that's, that's a big benefit to it. Well, that would be the, the pro in having yeah. these more readily available, right? Because there's, there's two parts of that one, people who need it, Okay, so if someone's in a bad, you know, in a tough spot, are they going to have the the bandwidth to be able to research uh, retreat centers in Peru or Brazil or Costa Rica and then yeah, or have the funds for it. Or they have the funds for it, right? And then yeah. to be able to make all the various things happen, you know what I'm saying? Like that takes a lot of insight, planning, of resources, right? All this kind of stuff. Um and so then but then having it available to them more readily is a pro because then they are still being able to touch the medicine in a moment that they may need it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So this is the part that, that, that really kind of like lends me to be like, well, you know, how can we do this in a way that is not just completely monetized, you know, like, and is that even possible at scale? Because companies yeah. don't do anything except for profit. That's the only reason why they do them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. yeah, maybe there's some, you know, altruistic motivation, but like realistically, if Johnson and Johnson is making whatever it's called, Spermetamax or whatever it is for, you know, their <laughs> ketamine, their ketamine nasal spray, they're doing it to make money because they found a need. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the reason why they're doing it. And yeah, maybe it's done mm -hmm. in person 
And they may talk about having somebody, you know, cut off their MAO inhibitors or cut off some other medications that they're taking before they use it. But that's where it stops. And then they check in back, they check back in with them in a month or six months or a year. And that kind of like integration period, which is really the most important part about the whole thing is to take your experience and put it into your life isn't there. And that, and the system, Western system of, of pharmaceutical, you know, nutraceutical medication or psychopharmaceutical medications is not designed for that because not everybody gets therapy. There's not really enough therapists for any, any, everybody anyways. And not everybody has insurance, not all the insurance covers it. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, this is the part that, that that's, you know, to, for me worth, discussion so that we can kind of try to highlight the sort of pros and cons on like, you know, when would someone look for a more traditional setting versus what are some of the kind of benefits that people have experienced using them recreationally? And and how do we as like, you know, as healers and people who kind of like walk the middle ground, you know, carrying forth a tradition and some ideology, uh, provide ourselves to be resources for those who are, you know, probably more leaning in that direction. Well, one thing that comes to mind is that regardless of what psychedelic you're taking or if, you know, you're going to take psychedelics at all, it's good to know the landscape of of what you're going to be entering into. Um, And so without going into too much detail about it, but it's like that's one of my biggest passions is teaching people about how to navigate that inner landscape just like in Celtic style shamanism, the Michael Harner Foundation teaches these basics of, you know, intro to shamanic journeying, how to listen to the drum and go into a trance and how to access, you know, different parts of your brain, just like when you're sleeping and you're dreaming, um, because the psychedelic basically takes you into that same type of landscape um, to open you up to that alternate internal universe. So teaching people how to navigate that space is going to help them not only to go into it uh, and not be traumatized while they're in it, and then also integrate when they come out of it. And then that can be a really positive experience. The people that I've seen and worked with that um, did not have those kinds of tools of, of navigation or understanding how to you know, properly work in that space while they're high, essentially. Um, they they weren't as grounded or centered meaning like you know they were just maybe really scattered in their mind um kind of didn't seem to be really in reality to me and um you know it was just like they needed more care afterwards yeah so it gets to kind of like the uh the same point we kind of was coming up before like if you're going to do this it has to be under some uh, condition of preparation and mentorship otherwise it's just not going to work right Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like from the business side, though, kind of what you were getting with Daniel, this is kind of an interesting time. So, you know, I did a little prep work. I'll throw it out. We'll see what y'all think of this. Um, I did talk to someone I know in the drug industry <laughs> personally. I made a call earlier today because I knew we were doing this. And he was like, well, you know, there's no plans that he's seen on the horizon for immediate, you know, uh, within where he works to invest in these things. But then again, you know, he, he doesn't know every single thing. And he was honest about that. But you get to the kind of this part of this, and it's a weird time. I'll, I'll, again, I'll throw it out to you too. But there's kind of like a bizarre thing 
I want to just mention this thing about the SSRI crisis, right? Because mm -hmm. kind of, Daniel's alluded to that a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is something you saw too, Ashley, or even you, Daniel. I can't remember if we talked about it, but there was this kind of explosive thing that happened a few months ago that probably got dampened down pretty quick afterwards. There was a kind of a big review article uh, that was done by, hmm, I can't remember one of the, one of the, something associated with one of the universities in Great Britain. I can't remember which one. Yeah, I'll, I'll find it because I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it like popped out and it was like, and they came on pretty hardcore and they were basically saying, listen, we've done this huge review study of all these little individual studies. There might've been 17 of them or something. I can't remember the exact Yeah, numbers. it was like a meta, it wasn't a full meta-analysis, but it was something like that. It was sweeping and they kind of said, we can't find any correlation between lower serotonin levels in the brain and depression at all. <laughs> this was like, boom. And they didn't go soft on the conclusion. Like I looked at it afterwards and I was like, some a friend of mine, friend of the show and my good friend, Justin Key sent it on to me, I think. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> you know? And that they said like, listen, this whole idea of the chemical imbalance concept in the brain is the reason why you're depressed. No, we looked at it and there's no, there's no correlation here. We can't find it. So if the SSRIs are working, it raises this question of like, well, how exactly is this doing this? Because this whole model, the critique of these authors were of like the chemically imbalanced brain or something mm -hmm. is what's causing your problem, like isn't the thing. So, you know, I, and I, I guess from like a farmer perspective, you know, again, prepping for this particular thing, I was talking with different friends about this. You sort of wonder where that's going to go, if that's going to make any difference in how these things are being used, if that model starts to crumble, right? Yeah, that model was they they call I found it here. It's called the serotonin hypothesis uh, syndrome, and that came in the '60s after uh, a number. You know, like no, I'm talking about something like that came out like two months ago. Right, but that I'm saying, but that so what I'm saying is that it took that them, built on this model from the '60s. Yeah, yeah it's taken about 55, 60 years, right, in order to kind of debunk this thing that was basically an industry standard and unquestioned for a very yeah. long time. And the reason why they were able to do that is because they had a, like an emergency use, the, uh, the one of the universities. Oh yeah, yeah, because that's actually going on. I can't remember what they call it. They call it like something where it's going to be yeah, fast track through the FDA I'll, or something. I'm fine. Yeah. I, I mean, this article is like really, really long and I had some things highlighted, but not everything highlighted. So I'm just kind of looking for it now, but it's okay. basically like an emergency use case scenario in the UK. And, that, and I think that started in like 2019. So- Oh yeah, yeah. That's why you're able to see this now. So in in le in two years, basically, they were able to debunk uh, a theory that was around for 55. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? So like, how many more? How many? And and you know, let's let's be let, let's be honest. Do you, I personally believe that that research was not done? I mean, that was done under emergency use authorization. It wasn't like there was everybody who was like, oh, let's try to prove ourselves wrong, isn't it? Because that's the whole point of research, right? To see if yeah. what you is it a truthism or is it just you know convenient for us right now? So um, that's why, like on the other hand, right, you want to make <laughs> far, uh, um, psychedelics you know available for people, but on the other hand, we have to also take into consideration the people who are going to be making them, which yeah. are pharmaceutical companies who are absolutely, positively very comfortable relying on the status quo, bringing in that cash cow. I mean, mm -hmm. over and over again. I mean, there, there's. I forgot what medication it was that they got, they had to pay a, uh, I don't know which one it was, but they had to pay like $4 billion in fines and for lawsuits. They made 8 billion from it. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. No problem. That's, I mean, that's still, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And people died and and it was what it was. It's just, you know, that's that, I think that's the negative part about it. Is well, that so like, was, like, it's just, yeah. 
trying to kick this around because I started thinking, okay, what's the business model behind this? Sure. You know? um, and, you know, uh, I definitely am willing to go to the most dark and cynical places about American culture in every single episode. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's like, yeah. And it's also going to be like, kind of like old school, like, like uh, deep throat from the Watergate scandal. You got to follow the money. Yeah. You got to follow the money. <clears throat> so I was like, okay, I was talking with like a friend of the show and my dear friend, Justin, about this. And we were kind of going, so what's the, like, what's the gimmick? <laughs> what's yeah, the yeah, stick? Yeah, yeah. What's the, what's the scam? And, and so we're kind of kicking this around. And it was interesting, even when I was looking at the Johns Hopkins, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, what you're going to see is uh, these little small startup companies yeah. that you know are associated with people involved in the study. <laughs> and I've been around this world, you know, and they have these funny names like Field Trip Psychedelics Incorporated <laughs> or Awaken, but spelled like capital A-W-A-K-N, oh, Awaken geez. Life Sciences Incorporated. So you're like, okay. So it's listed under the conflicts of interest yeah. at the bottom of the study because you know the people are involved in these things. And so how does that usually work? Well, some small company will go through, they'll do the research, big pharma. And this is I was talking with, you know, again, people I know who are in the pharma industry. We all know this. They come in, they snap up the small company or they snap up the research and they buy it. And next thing you know, they're going to market it out. But that still was a weird question for me because I was like, well, you're really talking about if you're going to, if the research is going to show you need two dosages for like a year <laughs> like where's the money where's the money the ssris are forever mm -hmm. right you're on those things presumably forever you never get off mm -hmm. and now you have this other research coming in that says oh yeah we don't need those things we need two doses of this thing that actually and talking it like with people again i know in the pharmaceutical industry you can't like patent psilocybin no like you can't do it like there's no way to do it so all you can really do is like patent your process for how you extract and you know, yeah. present it, right? So that you can patent, this is our thing. But still, if you're gonna do it like twice a year, like where's the money? And I was just saying like, what do you do? Do you charge like, cause you're gonna do it obviously in a setting. So hopefully avoiding some of the problems that Ashley was pointing out. It's not some person who's completely unsupported or something, mm -hmm. right? It still doesn't make the deep connection to the whole shamanic context where you're gonna connect to it in the way that you two would you know, uh, be doing and advocating for, but okay, you're going to get some prep for this. So I was thinking, well, what do you do? Do you just like charge, you go through insurance, you charge $5,000 for the session and the thing you build through it. Is that how you make your money? Cause it's not obvious how you do it to me. So I don't know. I, I think <laughs> I, I don't really agree with the, the pharmaceutical company getting involved in psychedelics, frankly. Um, they're going there though. They're going. They're yeah. Going yeah. There. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I just feel like for me, what I can offer is just educating people on, um, you know, what they can do to really work on the actual core issues. Cause just cause you take a psychedelic doesn't mean that your problem is going to go away, especially considering that a lot of, you know, these psychoemotional issues are not neurologically related. So, the pharmaceuticals, you know, may not actually even touch the long-term effects that are, you know, going to happen if they, if they even take it. And yeah. So there's, so, okay, sorry, sorry, Daniel. Go ahead. No, no. So Please. there, okay. So answer to a couple, put it, put it together with your guys, put your guys thoughts together. So Eric, you mentioned before um, preparation and mentorship, right? And which I like, I like those two things together, which is, you know, Ash is things that Ashley does, you know, with people, you know, taking them on 
you know, retreats, you know, what, what doing yoga and breath work and whatnot outside, you know, outside of the country. Um, but that the way, the pharmaceutical way to do this, right, the psychedelic uh, neuroceutical, or as we called it earlier, as, as I read it to be called, they probably wouldn't have it as, a, as an expensive dose, right? Because that's not the way to make money. The way to make money is through, you know, ubiquitous distribution. And how would you do that now is with microdosing. So my, mm. guess, my guess is that they would patent a process or patent some combination of things together, but probably a process and mix psilocybin with, I don't know, CoQ10 and B12 and a patented buffer, you know, that helps slows down absorption or something like this, right? You know, like I should probably, okay, whoever, if you use that idea, it's 10%, <laughs> all right? Let's, so we get that clear. And then, but then this way, people can microdose their psilocybin on a daily basis, and and it would it would basically replace the S, the failed SSRI experiment, right? So, and what so is it? Just I don't mean to interrupt you, but what does it mean if the research actually comes back that says, "Hey, you have to do this twice a year. You have to well, like get like jerry rig the shit out of that research to make that it look would like be, something else." But right? that's only one. That's only one research study. I know, I know, I know. But that's kind of like the general thing that you're hearing about, right? It's, Assuming. It's, well, yes, it, it is. But if there is, if there is, you know, some, you know, they, they had some diff other, other different uses and they put down another 10 studies that show microdosing is just as effective as two large scale doses, then they'll, they'll, they'll use that, you know, in, in there, yeah, 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 you know yeah. what I'm saying? So this would be how they would do it. But to Ashley's point, just because, and, and, you know, we can certainly kick this around just because someone uses something, it may be effective for some, but not effective for another, another, it doesn't mean that that thing itself is ineffective. To me, what it more means is that the, the process, the mentorship is not present in people's lives, right? So to me, the larger scale problem with mass-produced psychedelic neuroceuticals is, is the fact that they're removing it from nature, number one. But number two, people's reliance on an external source for internal change has not changed. That really bothered me as I was thinking about this too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's that bothers like, me a lot. That's mm -hmm. the crux of like this whole thing. So that's the crux of like Ashley talking about people preparing, doing a detox or a dieta, however you want to call it, right? That's the crux of like having not having mentorship or not having this integrative integration process after the experience is over, not and not just a week. And not just having like a, a quote unquote mentor, like a physical person to be there for you, but having mentorship style processes that can help you integrate your experiences, not just from a psychedelic perspective, but from a daily life perspective that can give you the ability to be introspective, reflective, gives you the opportunity to learn that as a pill taking society, we would just change the kind of pill, right? And that brings me back to my original third point moving towards a more naturalistic kind of mindset, right? Oh, well, this is more natural. It's not synthetic. Of course, they have to use manufacturing means to make something. But yet here's this pill. It's a mushroom. It grows outside. I'm taking it. And now it's helping me with my anxiety, depression, and so on and so forth without ever having to put any effort forth other than going to your doctor to get a prescription. And he's going to make your decision for you, give it to you, take your pill. And now you go about your business. The paradigm on self-reliance, self-responsibility is still not there. I just got a couple of reactions to that stuff and then I'll like throw it back to you too. So for me, when I was thinking about how you market this, I hadn't thought about the microdosing thing, but that makes sense. That's how you make your money. I was yeah. also thinking like, you could probably just franchise like, 
if you show that like uh, psilocybin helps with uh, alcoholism or something, you just franchise out these little places that does this stuff. You know, so you do your little franchise thing will, you know, take you into our chemical dependency program using whatever. And then you just have your little franchise and it's doing a bunch of different things. And then probably when you trace it all back, it's owned by Jeff Bezos or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's all these franchises. So I don't know. I mean, I thought that was the other thing that popped into my head. And uh, as Justin and I were talking about, I was like, yeah, that could be. Uh, but then the other part that you brought up was like one of the things that was a concern to me. And I wasn't sure how you two were going to react to this because, you know, um, you know, we all got our own takes on these things, but it does bother me the idea that, you know, we're a very drug taking society. People mm-hmm. like drugs. They really like them. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but like think about like once you start seeing this kind of research and, you know, we've we've had comments and when we did our psychedelics episodes, you get these long comments <laughs> of people talking about drugs and you're like, these people really like drugs. I yeah. like them a lot, you know, and they want to talk about it. And they're just like, you know, typing away into these comments about this stuff. So you're like, okay, but like the concern that I would have would be like what you're talking about that. Like if you, if, you know, Buddhist, Tantra, Taoist, Zen point of view, if you're not really like incorporating a deeper change in the consciousness of the person somehow, if they're not really changing, mm. then you know, that's kind of the modus operandi of the culture, right. right? To like not really change the person. Let's just medicate them out of whatever the issue is and we'll like stabilize them in some way and then they'll go on and you know continue to like do whatever the hell they're supposed to do yeah then the psychedelic is expectations yeah then the psychedelic is no different than just taking an ssri because it's not fixing the core issue which is that the behavior needs to change the mindset needs to change probably the situation needs to change and people need to you know do that inner work um you know in my experience of sitting in over 600 ayahuasca ceremonies in the last decade like yes i was taking a medicine that has you know maoi inhibitors in the in the medicine but it wasn't just the medicine i mean most of the time when i was sitting in my process i was sitting and meditating and i was doing the journaling and i was praying and i was doing the work and i was you know really digging deep and digging out with my mind and with my will the things that I wanted to clear out and that I wasn't taking anything else, but, you know, most of the time sitting in meditation and, um, you know, a lot of spiritual practices emphasize this, this internal work. And so what I'm worried about with psychedelics is that that's going to be lost. Um, and you know, it's, I think it's a real concern, but, um, there's a lot of research coming out and it's exciting. It's also a really exciting time. And I'm curious to see how things are going to move forward with the psychedelic movement. Um, but I am seeing that there's this hyper vigilance and focus on the synthetics like MDMA, 2CB, you know, ketamine, um, things like that. And like, for example, um, I was just last week, um, for Thanksgiving weekend, I was hanging out with a bunch of clients and they were, um, they were doing MDMA. They were mixing that with psilocybin and, uh, ketamine. And I didn't do any of that. Honestly, (laughs) I was just kind of there as like the DD and for three nights that they were there all three nights, they were doing all three of those or all three of those drugs together with no like, you know, preparation, there was no guided, you know, meditate, there was no space holding. So yeah, they were taking the drugs, but that doesn't mean anything. Because to me, 
even though I wasn't on any medication, the music that they were playing, the, the things that they were doing was actually a little bit disturbing to my nervous system and somewhat triggering, like listening to speedy techno music for like five hours, regardless of whether you're on drugs or not, is like kind of disturbing to the nervous system and dis, de, dysregulate, de, deregulating, dysregulating my nervous system. And so I can't imagine what they were going through. And then, you know, you're also like looking at the spiritual context, like when you're taking psychedelics, you're also opening up your mind to all kinds of spiritual quote entities, energies, you know, and possibility of traumatizing yourself within the psychedelic space. And that's something that the pharmaceutical industry doesn't really consider because again, there's this lack of appreciation for spirituality, for the spiritual context of where the psychedelic takes us. I mean, the reason that psychedelics are effective is because the natural psychedelics get us in touch with nature. And again, it just keeps blocking that off. So I don't think that in the future, if these psychedelic, you know, people that are um, selling psychedelics and it's all synthesized, really want to make a difference in people's lives, it's not going to match the natural psychedelics. It's, it's not going to really um, make the changes that they're promising. Well, it's kind of like a different, a different goal even, right? Like, you know, we're talking about conscious transformation of consciousness and you're even talking about changing of relation between the individual and the natural world around them, right? The changing the relationship with the individual and the, con and the cosmos kind of. And they're trying to like statistically show an improvement in some diagnosable disease or something. It's not even like the same same kind of deal, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess a uh, a blow up doll isn't the same as a real thing, but they sure do sell a lot of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, different that, strokes for different folks. But but that's right. the word strokes. That's <laughs> right. But that, I mean, but that's the and that you know that's the point of of you know me wanting to bring this up is that like this is going to happen. Yeah, it's a matter of time, right? And not forty years. You know, it'll mm -hmm. become decriminalized more states more reg sooner than later. The ability for for universities, not necessarily on a grand scale, to do research is going to come about. Some company is going to be able to patent some process, and then this is going to be manufactured and given out to the people as uh, the panacea. You know, as SSRIs were in the '90s. The question that comes to my mind for you two is, for people who are more, I'm, I'm not as invested in this as part of my uh, spiritual practice and teaching as you two are. You know, it's a deeper thing for you than it is for me. You know, for me, it's like, oh, interesting. But for you, it's much more meaningful, right? So does this look like this is going to be a kind of thing that's going to be, if these things kind of go this route, does that lead to more acceptance? And is that for the good? Or does it lead to artificiality and kind of like, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, artificiality, right? And is that kind of more damaging to the more authentic practices? Like, how does that play out? You and I have similar conversations about mindfulness and stuff like that. So I guess we'll double around to that too. Does that help? Because more people get exposed and maybe more people will go deeper. And next thing you know, they're talking to Ashley and they want to do something more meaningful. Or does it end up being something where it's like, it doesn't necessarily help the people who are trying to do deeper things using these modalities as, you know, part of their, uh, you know, part of their practice and trying to help others. What do you think, Ash? I think it depends. Um, like, let's, let's say, for example, you have somebody who uh, is a war vet and they're on 
antidepressants and maybe they're just really traumatized and they're having a difficult time managing their life. They can't, you know, focus or get a job or they're just having trouble getting out of bed. You know, they have a lot of signs and symptoms of um, really serious depression. Then maybe, you know, things like ketamine or something that is synthetic that can just kind of hit the nail on the head and just go right to it. And that could be, you know, really helpful for that person just to really forcefully almost get them out of the rut. Um, and they can do that more spiritual practice later once they get their life more together. That could be a possibility. Um, I actually have a friend who um, she was at a couple of years ago in a really bad place. And I was calling her a lot because I was really concerned about her. And she had taken a couple, I don't know, doses of ketamine or something out in Missouri. And she swears by it. And she kept telling me, she's like, Ashley, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. It's helped me so much. And she went from just really, be, really being in a very bad place. Like I was concerned that she was going to take her own life kind of thing. And now she's doing really well. She's, you know, making $300 an hour. She's got her life together. She's got her business together. She's, you know, really successful. And she swears by the ketamine and she swears by that process. And she did several sessions with it. Um, so I think that it's going to be a case by case thing. But I think that as long as people um, ignore and uh, deny their own essence, their own needs, deep, deep needs for connection, they're not going to get to the root of what's actually causing the problem. So with, you know, I think you were asking, like, where, where do we see this going? Is this going to be a good thing? And I think, you know, I keep coming back to like, people need to do their own work, regardless of whatever they're taking. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's, that's right. On 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 as part of it, I think Eric, to your question, what, you know, what's this going to do? Um, I think obviously case by case, people are going to find themselves looking, for, searching for more. Right. So Ashley gave an example of a, of a, of war veteran dealing with PTSD. Let, let, let's go a little bit more broad. Um, and let's say like a 34 year old female from the United States with anxiety or depression because you know they interchange sometimes and how does this person who has you know been unable to kick their you know negative thoughts and and you know physical discomfort um with traditional pharmaceuticals and therapy and then now they have this new drug that comes out right psilocybinox okay or whatever it's called you know and so the their caretaker or whatever general practitioner or whoever psychologist admit it says, okay, we're going to try, you know, try this thing for you. Well, there's two parts. One, the, the medicine itself, if we're going to address psychedelics as a medicine, which, which we are, the medicine itself, as it is still connected to nature, even in its, you know, uh, we could say uh, transmuted form still has its own consciousness to it that we cannot, that I cannot say that I know what it wants, right? Because it made its way to this culture even when it probably wasn't quote unquote supposed to, you know? So who am I to stand in the way of its own progress, even in a transmuted state to connect to people and help to touch people, to help them because they're, these are, these are beings of, of infinite compassion, right? Is that how you see that, Daniel? Do you see it that way that the, that's trying to find its way into the culture in some way that will part of it? Like, yeah. Part I have, its way through. I, yeah. Do you I see have it that to way be... too, Ashley. Do you, does that make sense? Does that make sense to how you see it too? I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry about that. It just no. occurred to me. That's an interesting thing to say, you know? Well, this, then this, yeah. this, 
this comes from our teacher, Mary, who's been on the show before, Mary Kay, you know, that like, who are we to say? Because this this argument was made for people who would go down to uh, the jungles of, you know, in the Amazon and use the medicine down there I would say, oh, well, this is not, you're not supposed to use this. Well, it called, it found me in whatever way that it made its way, it found me, you know? So that's, so that's one. Then the other part, I think, again, this idea of mentorship, if, if that psychedelic pharmaceutical helps this 34 year old female, we'll say mother of 2.5. <laughs> um, and she feels more called now because she's in a calmer space to do more personal development then she might find someone like Ashley or she might go explore because that that stigma, which is still present in our culture now, right? Will be broken through. That, that's that, basically the gist of my question. Will the stigma fall the and that will, it will make what you two are trying to do easier or it will be co-opted and you'll kind of like lose, this is always the concern, right? You know, people get co-opted out and then you the people who want to do the more, you know, more reels, more authentic versions of things will get crowded out of the space. That's my well, question, you, I guess. I'll you know? give you I'll give you an example that maybe will answer your question. In the town where I live in, there is not a, a cannabis dispensary, even though in Illinois, it's legal for recreation and medical and whatever. You could literally smoke on the street in front of a cop and he won't say a word other than that smells pretty good. You know what I mean? Like what else? Right, that's it. They don't want to have a dispensary here, even though it generates from their projections between a half a million to a million dollars in tax revenue annually. And there's one just down the street from where the village is, you know, where the, where the village ends. Why? Because the bulk of the people who make decisions are, I don't know their exact age, but they look like they're probably 50 and above. And that mentality, that stigma against even, even marijuana, which is completely legal is absolutely present and they don't want it in their in their community even though the voters here have approved it so part of it is going to be the the consciousness shift in the people who and i guess in the purchasing population right the people who are willing to frequent and purchase these things and spend their money on them right the economics are eventually going to speak for themselves uh so that's that's the other part you know and so i think then for people who want to do these things the authentic folks will be here the commercial bullshit will also be here. And the people who are looking to find their way, hopefully will have an easier time finding something that is going to call to them. Now, will they be distracted by the flat, flashy lights of Johnson and Johnson and Pfizer's, you know, whatever, Syllabinox versus the, you know, people who spend their lives, you know, essentially carrying the medicine and the practice forward of helping people prepare, experience and integrate. That's the hope. But ultimately, if it's easier for people to access, I, I end up thinking it's a good thing in the long run, even if the the beings who are the mediums to the plant spirits, which i.e. humans in this case, are ultimately flawed. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, you know, I think I'm going to lean on the side of compassion. I was trying to figure out what you were going to say about this before this episode, and I, I thought it was going to be that because <laughs> we've been talking about this stuff for a while. It's going to be a mixed bag. But I think ultimately your attitude is, well, at least thing, there's like two levels. And I think Ashley was alluding to the same kind of thing too, the way I think about it, which is something like, well, if there's a, like a, a war vet with PTSD or if there's some soccer mom, not to stereotype her, we just no. did, you know, in the whole description, she got yeah. completely stereotyped. That's not right. 
but you know, like the whole thing, if there's people who need this, then they'll get clinical help. And that's, it's hard to argue that there isn't some good in that. You know, we actually, we've had these similar conversations about like mindfulness, you know, uh, you know, your work provides mindfulness and you get your mindfulness at your work and they do like a 15 minute meditation thing where like someone comes in and trains somebody for a little session and it's their small business. And then maybe you feel a little bit better. They train your like, manager to be a mindfulness like coach. <laughs> 12% more mindful. And you know, you feel mm-hmm. happier. Is that good or bad for people who want to see like the real thing happen? You know, it's mm-hmm. a, kind of like an ongoing debate. Will it get like more like just, you know, as it get filtered through the culture and it just trashes it, you know, like the way this culture tends to do for things, you know, <laughs> or will it come through? So there's the individual clinical yeah. benefit, but then there's also like, does it help people who are trying to do the more authentic thing? And then his attitude is like, yeah, it will, because it'll destigmatize it. People get exposure and then more people have the opportunity to do things that are deeper. And I'm not, I'm not sure. At the same time, (laughs) at the same time, are we watering down something that is very potent, you know, because the, the container, the spiritual practice and the discipline of working with a spirit that comes through for healing, um, you know, by, by taking these pharmaceuticals and uh, pharmaceutical psychedelics, it really does water down any kind of um, spiritual potency. You know, it, it, it extracts it. It's kind of like, uh, what's that, what's that drink clear? Um, that vodka drink. Everclear? That's Everclear. That's Whatever. I don't know. It's like, it's like alcohol, you know, it just like extracts the spirit of, of the, of the medicine, the actual sure. medicine. I mean, what sure. people are, what people need is medicine. They need things that help them heal and what helps them heal, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, it, no, I mean, th- these are, it's all, va- it's all valid points, right? The, the, the movement away from its original source, the influence of the culture and, you know, monetary desires, you know what I'm saying? All are going to have their, their, their hands are all going to be in the, all these hands are in the cookie jar trying to get all the cookies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm just, I think I'm, I'm still going to be on the side of like, the process is half, the wave is coming. The wave is definitely coming. Yeah. How, how it eventually hits and what the final products look like that I, I can't say I'm not, I, I don't have, you know, a PCAM microbiology. I, I just um, hope that they don't touch ayahuasca. I hope that they don't get all their hands into that because I mean, a lot of what makes the medicine potent is the container of course you know but that's all, but so all these the hope is though is that even if they do even if they do guess what that means it's legal that means it's legal and that means that somebody can go to you know some church or some place that is holding space properly and the stigma is because i i'll tell you i you know i talk with a lot of my clients you know who are around baby boomer age and there's a very clear delineate. They're either interested or they don't want to hear about it at all. There is no <laughs> middle gro- no middle ground. And even the ones that are interested, the ones of them who would think about it are few and far in between. Do you know what I'm saying? But if it's sold by, again, I'll just use Johnson & Johnson, then that, that gives it another level of validity. So now my conversation with them is a much different one. It's not some dude who goes to the jungle, you know what I'm saying? And you know what, right? But of somebody who has been ahead of the curve by 20 years, right? And I could look back at my own experience and and people who have worked with me and they could say, oh yeah, I know I've been doing that. They're just, they're slow. And the difference is 
you know, would you go talk to your GP about your emotional state? No, you wouldn't. You know, would you go to the ER? Would you go to your psychologist if you have a broken foot? No. So the appropriate medicine with the appropriate practitioner in the appropriate setting. So my hope is that like this will come, this will be one of the like, you know, sort of uh, unintended consequences of yeah. a night out between pharmaceuticals and psychedelics. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, and to your point, Daniel, too, like on the other side is that maybe in the fu the future is that people get what they need faster and more efficiently, because at the same time, here I am, we could have a whole other podcast about all the crazy effed up ways that I've been completely traumatized by psychedelics. <laughs> we don't want to, we want to keep, we want to stay in the positive, Ash. We, you know, we want to <laughs> yeah. stay in the positive. But, you know, um, if you could take a psychedelic where you're just boom, right there. Okay. I feel better, you know, then. Well, that's okay. why those results look so trippy to me. How is it that like you take two dosages and then the next year you're still like testing that doesn't match any of my experience of what the world is like. You can get consciousness changing things, but the idea that yeah. you do something twice and the next year, you're like, yeah, totally fine. Well, it was, it was 20 on the depression scale. Now I'm seven. You're like, what the hell is that? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> well, then, you know? and then what causes these imbalances that this psychedelic can fix so easily? Well, that's a, that's a question. They're what not are those like, imbalances then? Right. right. Yeah, well, the people not, at Johns Hopkins are like, we they don't, don't even know what they this don't is even doing. bother to go there. I mean, well, they're you know. thinking about it. You know, they want to know. And they, sure. the guy did in the in the video. He was saying like, well, there seems to be some kind of way in which there's an experience where people are opened up to like relook at their lives. Yeah. They look at things differently. It seems to create some space of, you know, the ability to, yeah, rethink your world, rethink yourself yeah. and your world. Like he was acknowledging yeah. that as being like, that's the curative effect. Yeah. Subjectively. So, yeah. Right. Whatever you're going to see in an MRI or whatever, I don't know. Creating but, space, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like in Buddhism or any kind of meditation practice, creating a space. Alternative subconsciousness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But well, like, you know, for me as like a cynical person... <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you want to close this up on a positive note? No, no, no. I just, I, I do want, I do want to close, I do want to close it up, but I want to, but I want to give everybody their, their opportunities to say, you know, to, to make their closing okay. arguments in whatever way. So as I was talking about this earlier, why was this stuff made so taboo in the beginning? It's mm. because you really don't want people to change their minds. <laughs> you really don't want people to do that. If That's you can right. dose them to a better place where they don't feel as despondent and uh, less productive, let's mm -hmm. be honest, you know, mm -hmm. they could be better functioning within the home and better functioning within the workplace. You know, do you really want people to change their consciousness? No, not really. That's the like, I mean, that's part of the explanation of why this shit was so taboo to begin with, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, I, I don't know, like what that's going to mean in terms of going forward, because obviously anything that's going to make people really question their lives and what they're doing, that's not, gonna, that's not a product. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. I had to say it though. You know what I no, mean? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I had to say it. That's fair. But maybe it is like the law of unintended consequences, or maybe the medicine is a trickster and finds its way in, in a sneaky way, you know? And the next <laughs> thing you know, it's like, People are like, wait a minute, this job is bullshit. <laughs> this plant's <laughs> telling me this job sucks. I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, I'm going to do something different with my life. Well, then the, the, the plant's a very wise plant. But if the plant's doing that, what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, you'll, you'll be administrating the plant. Okay, good. All right, cool. All right. Yeah. As long as I got a job here in this new Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, cut, you can cut out of the loop, right? Yeah, yeah. Ash? Well... 
if people are going to be taking psychedelics um, and the world wants this and this is where things are going, uh, I just really pray that it's done safely. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a good, yeah. That's, that's a good, good. That's a good place to end that. Yeah, that's a good place. Yeah, and I think you know, for me, it like I said, it's it's coming, and the movement away of the pharmaceutical moving away from pharmaceuticals to psychedelics, I think, is a good move, as because people are, have they've realized the limitations of what these medicines can and cannot do. Right. So we're, that's that's the point that we're at now. I mean, people as individuals have already been realizing this as the years have gone by. Which So they've sought various forms. And, you know, we see these in our in our people who come in to our clinics who want to get off medications, who don't want to take medications. They don't feel so good. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I think as a as a whole, this is probably a, a consciousness shift on for society as a whole. This is one of these like watermark moments or earmark moments. I don't know what whatever. <laughs> right. Something like this. Some moment. Right. Where there's a shift where you could say, okay, before this was just strict reliance on what physician told you to do in order to change your mind. And now you get the, now you have the opportunity to like have a little bit more like influence on that for yourself, which to me is empowering, you know, in a sense. Now, is every single person going to use it that way? Probably not. You know, are there going to be some souls who want to do the the transformational process and go seek someone like Ashley or go seek, you know, some centers in Peru or whatever? Those people are not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. So the rest of it is all this kind of middle ground. And there's going to be some negatives in terms of like, you know, pharmaceutical bastardization of the uh, the medicines process. And at the same time, they're going to give a watered down Kool-Aid to people who are thirsty. But if they want to drink, then, you know, let them drink the sugar waters better than starve and better than dehydration. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, if, if this helps people to put the gun down, to step away from the alcohol, to treat their wives better, to just improve their lives, you know, and their husbands and their husbands and not, you know, not hurt themselves. Um, that little bit more light is, uh, that's good. It's good. That's yeah. That's it. That's what I, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Um, we're going to wrap it up. Any last parting shots or we feel good? Okay. Good. good. Okay. All right. Thank well, you. Well, Ashley, thanks for coming on and uh, bringing a different perspective. You know, it's always nice to to have a, you know, another voice and another different experience with this, you know, coming yes, from. Thanks for sharing the very personal parts of it too, yeah. Ashley. You know, you're really talking from experience of like looking at people going through different things. So thanks for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for letting me share. Of course. And uh, yeah, we wanted to thank our, our audience, you know, people who are, you know, listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, Podbox. I don't know, is that even a thing? Podbox? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds good, though. Uh, or if you're watching us on YouTube, you know, like, comment, subscribe, you know, share our work with other people. Uh, if, if you found it entertaining or annoying, share it anyways, spam them, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you can go ahead and leave us a review. It definitely helps the show uh, grow. Uh, you can email us uh, at ginandtantra at gmail.com if you want to get a hold of Ashley uh, for you know whatever reason, for questions for her work or whatnot. Uh, just send me an email and we will definitely you know link you guys up. Uh, or you can hit us up on Instagram at ginandtantra or on uh, YouTube in the comment section. We're, we're definitely there. So for Eric and Ashley, this is Daniel. We'll get you the next one. Peace. To get together, I want you to get together, put your hands.
Yeah.